Thompson downfield. Pringle open. There he goes. Four scores. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Draft Daily. Really excited for this episode. We're going to talk about a draft sleeper for both your Dynasty team and your favorite NFL team. We're going to bring in a special guest, uh, Matt Caraccio. You can follow him on Twitter at Matty underscore S2S. He's the owner and co-host of Saturday to Sunday Football. He does the podcast for them. He's a member of IT Pylon, the Scouting Academy, uh, former Dynasty Scouts and Optimal Scouting. Matt, how are we doing today? Oh, incredible, Elliot. I'm really psyched to talk about this player, Byron Pringle. I mean, I, I, I'm, I just can't really believe that we're going to get a chance to really kind of crush it with him. So let's get going. Yeah, man, I'm really pumped to have you. I mean, you, your knowledge is, is up there with anybody. I, I remember that you and I had tried to set this up, and even after we had agreed to talk about it, I asked Twitter kind of who they wanted to hear on. You know, guys from Sigmund Bloom to uh, I, I don't even remember everybody, but there's like six or seven really big deal people on Twitter that were just saying, I got to have you on. So, you know, your your knowledge in this area is nothing short of fantastic. But let's jump into Byron Pringle. Here's a kid. His background story is really important to understand. So he's going to turn 25 in November of his rookie year. He was a no-star recruit out of high school because he was arrested on felony charges in his junior year. Ended up going to, what, Youngstown State, I want to believe, where uh, he gray-shirted. He ended up missing a couple years of football uh, in 2013 because of another arrest. That's why he stopped playing at Youngstown State. He enrolled at Butler Community College and then um, became a three-star JUCO recruit, moved on to Kansas State, had a kid, um, really kind of changed who he was by all accounts of the coaches, they said he was kind of like an up, an outstanding citizen, and you know he really grew up a lot, a whole new person. So that we'll, we'll, we probably don't need to get into that too much. That's more for NFL teams than us. And then you kind of look at his production and who he was at the combine. Uh, let's start with the combine. He was at six one and one eighth, two hundred three pounds, seventy seven inch wingspan, thirty two inch arms. He ran the four four six forty yard dash with a six eight seven three cone. Um, his broad jump was 120 inches and vertical jump was 33 and a half. And then as a player at Kansas state, you know, he had a lot of big plays. So he averaged 24.1 yards per catch this past season, which is absurd. He had 30 catches for 724 yards and six touchdowns coming off his sophomore year. We had 39 catches, 631 yards and four touchdowns. And then he adds in another 39 career kicker turns, which for a kicker turn average of 27.6 and two touchdowns. You know, if you watch just his Oklahoma state tape, it's, Probably as good as any wide receiver game of anyone in the college uh, class this year. But you know what? Matt, I've talked enough about this man's background. So you, you were excited I made you wait for two minutes. So talk to me about what you were like about Byron Pringle. No, I, I think when you look at Byron Pringle, I do think that there's a va- – first of all, I mean, I think there's a vast array of, of receivers in this class. And I think we're talking a lot about complementary receivers. And I think this is something that at least to kind of frame the discussion, I think that's important to note up front. Many of the receivers in this class are going to be more along that complementary line. A lot of number twos, threes, and fours. And, and Byron Bringle is really no different. However, I think when you put into context, and this has been at nauseum, we've discussed this both on Saturday to Sunday. I've heard it on your podcast. I mean, I've heard it from 
from a lot of different um, people around the league as well as in reports. I mean, you know, the the final arrival of the passing game as being the primary means to move the football is kind of arriving at the NFL level. And for that reason, I think that we're looking for a variety of receivers, guys who can play roles, guys who can extend defenses, put defenders in conflict in a lot of different ways. And I think and I think it was Matt Harmon who put out a very piece of interesting data about how most of the top wide receivers are playing in the slot and how teams are actively looking to put their best wide receivers within the slot for a multitude of reasons, but for not least of all space. And I think that Byron Pringle, when you look at him, when you look at him as a player, I think he's athletically, first of all, I think he's right down the middle. He's your Joe average starter in terms of athletic ability at the NFL level as a wide receiver. I think when you look at him physically, though, a little bit closely, you'll see that he's got an even cut muscular build with a really kind of muscular lower half. And the reason why I highlight that is because I think you need to be strong to play in this league. I think you have to be able to handle the collisions, the dogfights that go on both throughout the route stem as well as at the top of the routes. And when you look at him and players like Michael Gallup and DJ Moore and Deshaun Hamilton, you have to have a little bit of that physical boxer's mentality at the top of your routes, being able to handle those collisions. And that's something he really excels in. And I think when you look at him as a player, you know, you see him at the line of scrimmage when the snap of the football is, if he's facing off coverage, he has a nice solid burst at the actual snap of the football. I think he has solid, you know, acceleration. I don't see a guy who's got tremendous acceleration, but what I do see is a guy who uses his route stem to his advantage. You know, I'm a big believer in the idea that wide receivers have to understand we're creating space now. We're giving you formation, spreading receivers out. You have to be able to use that space that's being created for you. And when you look at Byron Pringle, I think he does an outstanding job using space. He knows how to use it to manipulate the defenders throughout his route stem so he can create additional separation at the top of his routes. That's how he creates enhanced play speed. It's not that he's faster than everybody, but I think it's that he has a better understanding of how to exploit the space around him and create extra separation. He can put instability into a into a cornerback's mindset. They don't know what he's going to do. If he looks, you know, there was one play in particular, you're talking about, you know, Texas and the Oklahoma State game, and you're talking about those. There was one route in particular. It was a deep post, but he ran a double move on it that was really well done. He actually pulled up about three yards before he actually made contact with the actual cornerback, and he looked down inside as if he were going to run a dig route. And by looking down inside to run the dig route, by knowing that the cushion had been closed so closely, he invited that deceit, that cornerback to crash down as if he were going to defend the dig route. And what he did was he pulled up slightly as well. So he was showing that I'm going to slow down. I'm showing you I'm going to run the dig route. I'm looking as if I'm going to run the dig route. And then as soon as he saw out of his peripheral vision, that cornerback flip his hips, he accelerated again. And then he faked to the backside and went post on him. I mean, that's the type of route runner I think the modern passing game needs. You need to have guys that are not only quick in a straight line or quick at the combine, but you need to have those that are mentally attuned to what's going on both in the first level of coverage as well as in the second level of coverage. I mean, we're talking about pattern match, right? There's a lot of pattern match coverage going on. Well, pattern match means it's a glorified zone that ends up turning into man. 
So you have to have an outstanding understanding of what receipt, what defenders and safeties are doing to you. So you have to have a way more expansive view of the field and you have to be way more attuned to the different types of nuances and cues that can go on when you're running your route. And I think he's displayed that several times over. And he's not the only one. There's a couple in this class. But I think he stands out as a guy that's going to be very late in drafts. And I think he could end up being easily a top four receiver going to a team right now. That was poetry, man. It's uh, it's going to be really tough for me to talk about some of the things I liked about his route running uh, and make it sound any better than the way <laughs> you just said it right there. But, I, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, the way you just mentioned – uh, his understanding of spacing is is really important. Um, and the only thing I'll add to what you said is I, I thought he did a, did a pretty good job on the stem of his routes, kind of either avoiding contact or running through contact, which is good because some of his press man reps aren't terrific. But, you know, he, he handled... He handled uh, contact very well at the stem of his route. He would do a good job dipping his shoulder, or he would kind of set up the, the defender like you talked about to kind of create separation. And, you know, all that you just eloquently laid out leads to a 24.1 yards per catch down the field. I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, this guy is going to bring a b- vertical threat to your team. Um, I thought a couple other things he did well was I thought he came back to the football pretty well. His kick return ability. I thought he understood his blocking really well, which leads to open field vision. So it means you can kind of, kind of create touches for him some to to allow him to use this big playability, and you can manufacture some easier touches to try to get the ball in his hands. So I think we we're talking a little pre-show. He might be best in the slot based on you know playing more, manufacturing initial separation, and allowing him to use his spacing ability, create this vertical threat from the slot, which is difficult for teams to to step up against or play against sorry on top of that you can kind of create these bubble screens in different situations to get get him the ball in his hands and allow him to make plays down the field so i i think some of those things are different things i really like about his game you know what, Ellie, I'm going to tease out a couple of things. First of all, I agree with you 100% on curls and comeback routes. It's one of the routes that I really noted for him as being a strong point. Because unlike most receivers, what you'll see at the line of scrimmage is you see a lot of guys that'll pull up or fall step. Sometimes fall stepping is okay if it's part of the rhythm. I know I just said that online, and I know I, I, I said that live on the air, and that's that's okay. Yes, fall stepping, it's been shown. It's been shown in athletic testing that, believe it or not, there's something to be said for the rhythm like when a quarterback is taking a snap from the, of the football behind you know, the center, when you see a quarterback actually fall step, um, they'll do what's called a fall step before they get into their drop. A lot of quarterback coaches will say that's terrible. A lot of them will say that's part of the rhythm that they need in order to create you know, the opportunity you know, to, to be on rhythm with their passing concepts. Well, the same thing can be true for a wide receiver. They're seeing that fall steps aren't really the end of your life. Well, Pringle does a little bit of that, and it's very minor, but he does it in a way where he does still get vertical very quickly, and one thing about him is he maintains a very low pad level, and as a result, he really does have a nice like kind of biomechanical positioning when he gets to the top of his routes. He's already got a low center of gravity. He already has that big trunk like we were talking about, that big lower body, so he has most of his mass in his lower body. So when he hits the brakes, man, he's putting a tremendous amount of force into the ground that allows him to really kind of come out, which means that body control is something that goes underrated for him. You know, body control, we always think about the catch point, you know, but he's a guy that on curls and comebacks, I mean, you said it perfectly, that's body control. To be able to take 
that type of acceleration momentum and be able to slow it down, decelerate, stay balanced and stay poised going up for the football and coming back to it. That's a, that's a tremendously hard thing to do. And it's really not that easy. And I thought your point um, about him doing that, I think, I, I think it's really excellent. Those are really strong routes for him. I do agree with you about press coverage. I'm right there with you. You know, it's funny that you said that because I, I've been having trouble reconciling his ability against press. And I don't think anybody who's a fan of the wide receivers would ever say that press, you know, the ability to handle press coverage should be, you know, overstated. I mean, it is. It's one of the most important things. And Pringle, really, there were times he got he got tangled up, you know, in games. But he looked phenomenal at the Senior Bowl. So, like, I was trying to, like, reconcile, like, what's going on here? Like, you look great at the Senior Bowl. You know, you're literally, I mean, if you if you had a chance to watch a lot of those practice reps, I mean, I said it, I, I sit up at all hours of the night during those games, and I'm, like, you know, like, glued to the TV. I'm, like, rewinding in slow motion on my DVR. And I happen to watch him a f- several times. I'm like, man, this guy is roasting everybody at the line of scrimmage. And he did it in so many ways. He had lower body fakes, upper body fakes. He used pull-throughs. He used swipe-aways. He used swats. He did a lot of different things in order to create, you know, in order to separate at the line of scrimmage. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. But then you go back to his film and you see him getting tangled up. Is that because it's scheme? Was there maybe there was something going on at K-State? Maybe it was the play in time that we were looking at. Cutups can be deceiving at times. Or is it that this change in environment, which is a big step in when you go to the NFL, could that be kind of turning the light on in different ways? Could he be adding a layer of intensity that he didn't show, you know, at K-State? And and a lot of things that I'm I'm reading more and more, you change the environment on a player, you have to understand that there could be some chaotic returns. There is the idea that you can just not improve, but you could show other dimensions of your capability a little bit more. Uh, significantly if you change the environment that you're playing in. So I think going from college to the NFL could be the stimulus you need to suddenly change, not change what you're doing in the sense of getting better, but accessing your skill set way more efficiently and uh, and getting a little bit more dexterity in what you're doing. So it's just interesting that you noted those things because I'm right there with you. Curl routes, you know, curlbacks, comeback routes, awesome. You know, I was a little bit concerned though what do we think about press? What do we think about press? I I would say I would say my gut says is I don't know. That's why you're taking him in the fourth or fifth round, and I think that's where you're kind of you're kind of rolling the dice a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean that's part of it. You're whenever you get into something like that, you have to realize you're talking about a day three guy, so mm-hmm. he's not going to be this perfect prospect. There are going to be issues you you have with him, and like we mentioned, if if you put him in the slot, you can kind of protect him from a lot of that. And then I, I think the other major issue with this him is you know he had ten drops and sixty nine career catches. Like he he had some concentration drops. He can struggle with some of the lower passes, uh, which is probably gonna get better for him in the NFL because they're gonna be much. He's gonna play with much better quarterbacks, and that's gonna help. But you know he he's not the best uh, natural catcher of the football. Yeah, I mean the gauntlet drill that he had. And the combine was really smooth. I thought he adjusted really well. I, I think that his hands for me would be average. I don't know if it's bad. I don't know if they're outstanding. I think I've seen enough that makes me feel comfortable that he's a reliable receiver. I do think that he was playing in an offense where you're talking about, you know, Bill Snyder, you know, believe it or not, Bill Snyder is a passing coach. I mean, you may not believe it. Bill Snyder is a passing coach historically. It's just that 
this past season or past couple of seasons, he plays to his strengths and he feels like, you know, he's going to do what he needs to do to play to his strengths. So, you know, the quarterbacks basically accounted for over a thousand of their offensive yards. So that gives you an idea of just how in, in, you know, how rarely they threw the football and he was a leader each of the two seasons that he was there. His hands to me are solid. I saw some good things in the gauntlet drill, which I do like as a drill overall, but I agree with you. I mean, that's why, like you said, he's a day three prospect. There are certain there are certain question marks, and I don't think hands are one of them, but I do think press might be one of them. I do think some of that is is true, and that's why you're taking a little bit of a gamble, but I, I do love his competitive toughness. I do love everything that he brings as a route runner, and I think he can get him for a song in this draft. Yeah, and then the, the other two that I mentioned kind of open in the opening is that he's going to be 25 which is a mm-hmm. much older rookie, and he's got the off-the-field stuff. So those those are those are going to be two of the bigger ones that NFL teams look at as well. Um, when you watch his game, is there someone that he reminds you of? You know, I, I think when you look at him from the standpoint of as a player overall, I mean, you know what? I, I can't compare him much less to, to players like that I've seen in this class already. I mean, I know this is going to sound silly, but I kind of see him very much in the same role that I see you know, like the players I said earlier, I think he's very much in the same role as a Michael Gallup or a Deshaun Hamilton or a DJ Moore. I see a strong physical receiver. I could even say, I know this is going to go off the rails and people are going to yell and scream at me and say, how could you do this? But I see his game maybe being very similar or could be very similar to an Amari Cooper style game, a physical, strong player, Michael Crabtree, those types of players that are route runners, maybe not, maybe not the same athlete. Maybe they're better athletes than him. You know, but I think that that strong, physical, precise technician of a receiver that creates separation in a multitude of ways and then is a reliable receiver, but he but they don't blow the top off of the defense. They're not a player that is going to be, you know, the entire offense. You're not going to funnel an offense through them. So immediately I think of like the Crabtrees and the Amari Coopers of the world, even though we wanted Amari Cooper to be that that next gen wide receiver one. You know, right now it seems like he's more along that you know, a really good, solid, amazing football player, but not that dominant, transcendent talent that we were maybe hoping for. So I could see him falling along that spectrum of outcomes where he's that type of player, really reliable number two. And you know what, Elliot, one last thing, he's a great blocker. And I think as we get to more spread formations, he's a guy that's a solid blocker. He's willing to put his body between, you know, the running back or the running lane and the defender. And if you're going to keep running these spread concepts and you're going to keep attacking edges with with the with the running backs, you need reliable blockers on the edges. And I really do value that at the wide receiver position, especially from these spread formations. He's a good solid blocker. He's got a good effort to him and solid um, technique. So, he's a guy that I'm, I'm I I think really does win in a lot of ways for a team. It's funny you brought up Amari Cooper because he's he's going to be 2 years older than Amari Cooper, which is kind of yeah. crazy to think about. But um, in terms of a player prospect, uh, a player that he reminds me of, and now this is obviously not a great sign in terms of if you look at how this player has done his first two years in his NFL career, but in terms of who he was as a prospect coming out, Leonte Carew, just in terms of his, he was yeah. a big play vertical threat that did a lot of similar things. Uh, might not have necessarily been the best athlete, but did a lot of things to win down the field. Um, and, you know, he was a third-round pick, I believe, maybe fourth by the Dolphins and hasn't really done much. But just in terms of a prospect, again, not career trajectory, but just in terms of a prospect, I think he's on a similar level to Carew. 
listen, my co-host Paul Perdicchese will tell you all the time, you know, comps ain't my thing. I mean, I'm, I'm so bad at them. It's, it's, it's actually terrible. I mean, it's just not, it's just not my greatest strength. I mean, I, I really do kind of dig into these guys and dive into to who they are individually. But when I hear a good one, like I think Leonte Carew is a good one. I, I think that's right along that same spectrum. I would say, you know, I would say the Anquan Boldens, and I would say when you start talking about these physical players, and I can't think that's what you get when you talk about the Crabtrees and the Amari Coopers and the Leonte Carews, all on the different scale. But I think you're talking about, you know, physical, strong route runners. I think that's what these guys all are are all physical, strong route runners. And I I, I think that's something that's you know. I think that's something that is really important at the next level. Yeah, I agree with that. So, you know, I always talk about the assumption of rational coaching and where you guys want these to land, where you want a guy to land is going to have a major impact on his potential success in the NFL. So where where would you like to see him go? Oh, I'll, t- I'll take him on the Giants. <laughs> I have no problem. I have no problem taking him on the Giants. Um, and, and I'm not even getting to some degree. I think there's a lot of teams, including my own, um, I think there's a lot of teams out there that'll benefit from the Giants come to mind. Um, I, I initially see, I mean, I would probably say another team that could use him. I could see an Atlanta taking him. You could see an Atlanta maybe going late, you know, a guy to run opposite, you know, Julio Jones. Uh, I could see that for sure. Um, I could see a team. I could see a team like Cincinnati going back to the well and keep trying to go after wide receivers, even though they got 50 of them that are under the age. Probably he's older than most of them. But I mean, I could see them going back to the well. I can see them going after people. I, I do think that, you know, I think the New York Jets, I think they're hurting. They can use a guy like that, a reliable route runner. Um, I, I think because he's a tool that's part of a larger package in an offense. I think there's a lot of offenses that'll that'll benefit from him. The 49ers could go after him. You know, I mean, teams that I think run in a spread formation, teams that want to spread the ball out and allow space for these guys to create, create downfield, can create on short and intermediate routes. I think there's a lot of teams that can do that. And, you know, I think there's a lot of homes that he can end in. But but the Giants, I think the Giants isn't a silly thing. It could happen. The Jets, it could happen. You know, I could see Atlanta, it could happen. Um, I could see a team like the 49ers. It could happen. Teams where they're looking or hurt at wide receiver or looking for another complementary player to a better wide receiver that they currently own. The Jets have 17 wide receivers, and none yeah. of them are good. That's kind of funny. But before I go on a Jets rant, um, two teams I'm going to throw out there that I think make some sense. One is the Dallas Cowboys. I've talked about how I think they need to double dip in this draft, and they're probably going to take one in the first or second round. They could add him and kind of that fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth round, wherever he's going to go. Uh, and they need guys that can get vertically down the field and separate. I mean, Dak hasn't had a guy like that yet in his NFL career, so I think that would be a really good landing spot. And, you know, the Seahawks just lost Paul Richardson. They kind of lost some of that vertical threat. I know it's just because Tyler Lockett's there, but I always, for some reason, picture Kansas State guys ending up on the Seahawks for whatever reason. There's no there's no logic behind it, but it's just a personal thing for me. And, you know, he could bring that, that vertical threat to the Seahawks offense. And we've seen Russell West. Westbrook. Wow. Look at that. Basketball playoffs. I'm calling Russell Westbrook. We've seen <laughs> Russell Wilson do a lot of things down the field. And I think those are two spots that I could see him going late and really contributing. Let me, let me ask you a question. When you looked at this class, how did, how did you feel about it overall as you're talking about, you know, we're talking about Byron Pringle. We've mentioned several others or, you know, throughout this show. How do you feel about this wide receiver class? 
I think he gets knocked because there's not the top end number one guys. But I think that there, if if you're looking for a certain aspect of receiver, there's a guy for you in the class. I think it's really tough to put rankings together because yeah. so many of these guys do different things. Um, and if you're looking for an X, a Z, a slot, you know, a downfield guy, a playmaker with the ball in his hands, a, a route runner, you know, a, a contested catch guy, like whatever you're looking for, that that wide receiver too, so to speak. I mean. I think Matt Harmon's been talking about it and really basically saying, please stop just saying wide receiver one because the way you guys define wide receiver one, there's like 10 guys like that, 11 guys like that in the NFL. So yeah, um, I think there's a lot of talent and there's a, not much separating a lot of guys and that's why you see such different wide receiver rankings. No, and I'm right there with you. I think this is a very close, tight-knit group and I do think that when you look at this class overall, I think you're going to see a lot of pieces that could end up being parts of Super Bowls. I mean, this is going to be a class where I think you're going to get a lot of glue. A lot of glue. May not be the end up being the guys that end up catching the winning passes you know, to win the Super Bowl, um, but I do think that you're going to get a lot of guys that are going to end up solidifying a roster and, and really helping generate future success for a team. And if for nothing else, give a quarterback a lot of reliable options. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a little bit similar to last year's class where there are going to be a couple guys that go in the third round where people are going to kind of be shocked by it. But NFL teams, I think, are going to be all over the place based on what their system is. And it goes back to why draft rankings are so hard when you're doing a big board for 32 teams. I mean, that's not the way anyone in their right mind would ever do it. You're looking for guys that fill the roles that you need. Um, but, Matt, I just want to thank you for joining us, man. Your your football knowledge is just absolutely fantastic. I was so impressed with you coming on today. I've, I've read some of your stuff, and, it's it's again, it's just nothing short of fantastic. Why don't you tell the people where they can find you and what you're working on? Sure. Elliot, thank you so much. I mean, uh, to be very honest with you, I'm a big fan of everything that you're doing at the podcast, and really it was an absolute privilege to be asked to be on. So I just want to thank you first and foremost. And for anybody out there that, that really wants to find out what we're doing at Saturday to Sunday – um, you can find everything that Paul and I are doing at Saturday Sunday at S2S Football on Twitter. You can also find us at SaturdaySundayFootball.com. Um, we're working on the premium packages, finishing those up. We worked on four notebooks this past season. Um, they're still available. There's still time to go get them. And you end up getting the scouting notebook, which really is a 2018 draft guide right now for all of you fans that are interested, not only in the draft as a whole, uh, but also into dynasty. So it's got all of our rankings, got all of our notes from film. Um, you also get um, the notebook, the freshman notebook, which is my top 50 high school prospects coming into college football. So I've already written up stuff on Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Justin Shorter and for all of you uh, crazy recruiting fiends out there, there's, there's a little bit for everybody. Um, we also have the rankings notebook, which gives you our dynasty, Devi uh, rankings, as well as our tiers and where these guys fall. And finally, Paul's going to be putting on the final touches to uh, our draft notebook, which is really draft projections notebook is probably a, a TV guide of sorts. It's got oodles and oodles and oodles of information that Paul has culled together from around the the web and some of the best resources out there. And he's going to give you his opinion on what he's hearing and reading from all those sources. And he does his best job to kind of put out the top 256 some odd players and he sees if he can get them all in order, which is kind of chaos. So, um, 
it's a really great package and uh, we encourage you guys to come and check it out and uh, you know listen to the podcast we're doing some great shows we just had on you know Ian Rappaport and we had on uh, Sigmund Bloom and Matt Waldman and we had on Matt Harmon recently so we're putting out some uh, hopefully some fun podcasts and we have a really great post draft lineup uh, of guests really waiting, you know, waiting in the wings. So uh, we're really excited to just have this opportunity to share. Guys, I'm telling you, I've, I've looked at some of that stuff. Paul sent it to me when uh, he came on the the show. And, you know, it's it's nothing short of fantastic. I highly, highly recommend you check all that stuff out. Guys, again, you can follow him on Twitter at Maddie underscore S2S. You can follow me on Twitter at Elliot Chris, your host of the Draft Daily Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. As always, guys, we really appreciate listening. Thank you. I- Number one.